Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With, conversations with your favourite theatre actors and creatives. I'm Mikey Worrell. This week's guest lifted the Strictly Come Dancing glitter ball all the way back in 2012. Since then, she's co-created, co-choreographed and starred in four theatre productions on tour and in the West End. And she's received two Olivier nominations. Here's my conversation with Flavia Kakashi. How's 2020 been for you? It's been, uh, I think, the same as ever for everybody. It's been um, interesting, hasn't it? It's been uh, a year where I think we've had probably the least control over plans and anything and, you know, things that you have planned for the year. It's literally completely all been taken out of our hands, isn't it, really? Everything's kind of coming back together now. Uh, But I think it's forced a lot of people to possibly make, you know, quite big changes as well to their lives. It's kind of uh, given you a lot of time to think and, and things like that. You are one of the many freelancers within the entertainment industry. How have you had to pivot to, to get through this time? What, what work have you started doing that maybe six months ago you never would have thought about doing? Yeah, well, that was the thing. So I've had a really bizarre journey, I have to be honest, because I, um, I toured uh, from 2010 and I stopped touring in 2018. So I toured for a long time relentlessly. I was doing, you know, eight shows a week uh, for years in loads of theatres around the UK, did West End runs, four different productions. Um, You know, I was literally all around the UK. That was pretty much my life for, you know, eight years, really. So I only stopped in 2018 and took a break, did Panto for a couple of years. And um, since stopping, I I basically, uh, you know, when when you've been a performer, like you don't really live normal life yeah it kind of your life is on the road you come home you unpack you wash your clothes you pack and you're off again and that's what you know as life you don't really have bank holidays you don't have you know even christmases or you know you're just basically on the road work you know and that is what you do so when i stopped touring it i have to be honest i don't know if other performers have this i'm sure they probably do um it was a bit of a shock actually coming back to normal life just like the not knowing what you're going to do from day to day and being at home and um you know not really having a a set schedule and stuff like that it was really difficult for me so yeah it was tough so I decided to um I ended up doing a diploma in personal training oh cool I just needed like something to get my mind focused on so I wasn't constantly I was like I was like dreaming about I had loads of really weird dreams once I stopped about um, going on stage and not remembering my routines and uh, things like that. So I decided, I said, right, I need something to kind of focus, you know, my mind on um, every day for a period of time so I can kind of get through this like transition. So I did a diploma um, in personal training and nutrition and stuff like that. So that took up all my time. And then together with my husband, who was an actor turned chef, we decided to have an online fitness, nutrition and lifestyle website. So we kind of both wanted to work together a bit more, have a lifestyle business and thought, right, it'll be the start of a new kind of, you know, chapter for us. And uh, with all my dance background and stuff like that, then I kind of mixed fitness and dance together and all of this stuff. 
So basically, you won't believe it, but probably about a month before, obviously, COVID happened, we'd launched an online fitness, nutrition, and lifestyle website. And it was a membership website. And then I was also going to offer online PTing and nutritional stuff. And Jimmy was doing recipes. Um, and I was doing, um, the plan was to do like a weekly class. So we had a really cool software, which was like HD quality, great sound. And um, members could have a live class with me once a week. And when we launched it, everyone was a bit like, oh, I've never heard of that. Oh, we're not sure how that's going to work. And, you know, oh, this is all a bit new. And, oh, no one's doing it. And uh, so we started off and then literally next thing we know, four weeks later, the whole world is online. <laughs> so everybody goes, is obviously online, on Instagram, on Zoom. Um, so yeah, so we, it's been weird because we were all set up to go and it was good. We, we, had, we had, you know, quite a good number, you know, members and stuff like that, a good number of members. But the problem we had was that for us, obviously, it was kind of business Based. It was our, you know, going to be our, our main focus. And with everybody going online and offering everything for free, obviously, and rightly so, to help people through this time, we kind of had to really up what we offered our members. We were literally like working 24 hours a day, doing a lot more work and obviously still charging what we were charging, which was like a, a kind of a minimal membership fee. So in the end, we've kind of, even though we were all set up to go online, the whole online industry has now changed. You know, the whole thing's um, completely different to what it was when we launched. So we've kind of taken a step back and we've given members like access um, up until the end of this month, actually. And then we're just going to rethink things and reevaluate things and then see how we can come back. Because it's just a completely different market now to what it was then. We had some days where we were just scratching our heads going, how can this be possible, you know? <laughs> You could never have predicted something like this. No, no, but what an adventure. You know what? The best thing was when I did the diploma was that, you know, I think fitness and staying fit and healthy, having kind of come from the theatre world and stuff like that was the best thing I did because we've kept so fit and healthy and motivated. And we've, you know, I've written programs for like myself and my husband and we love, you know, we, we're lucky enough we've got a little home gym. So every day we're in there and, you know, it, it's so good for your mind, isn't it? Like staying fit and active. It's just so great that it makes everything else kind of just the whole day just go right. So yeah, it's been an absolute godsend really. How have you found moving from the theatre world, being a performer to being a business owner? I mean, there's always been, I think with every performer, especially if you're like headlining shows and stuff like that, which obviously, you know, I was, you've got that bit of extra added pressure you feel like there is also a business element you know when you're drawing up contracts and things like that and I've never actually had an agent um I've always done everything myself so all the oh my goodness um yeah which is really really tough but because I didn't start out in the theater world I started out as a, a dancer Dan dancers as you know from the ballroom and latin world don't really have agents when you compete and stuff like that it's kind of all changing now because obviously you then go to television and then that's when a lot of people tend to get management, you know, and things like that. But um, I never did. So I always dealt with all the contracts and things myself. So it was quite a lot of pressure because you're, you're not only doing the creative side. And obviously myself and um, Vincent co-choreographed all our shows as well. 
So you're not doing, you're not only doing the, you know, all that, the meetings for the creative side, you're also doing the, you know, the business side. But with, for us, for me, the business side was always the, the bit you do at the beginning. And then once you kind of cross the T's, dot the I's, you put that to one side and then it's just all creative, creative, creative. So I've always had that sort of business mind. And I think that's why very quickly when I stopped, I needed to get something else up and running quite quick. But yeah, I think now, if anything, I'm probably ready to sort of, with everything that's happened this year, to, um, I think the plan is to take a little bit of a step back, actually to stop everything for a while, just take a breather and just see what comes, you know, just be a bit more natural and just allow things to, to come to me rather than, I've always been like, you know, again, I think most performers are a goer. So always looking and next thing and next project and next show and the next tour and the next thing, like push, push, push. And I think now, post this you know when, what's happened this year i'm just ready to kind of sit back a little bit and just see what unfolds well rest rest time is important as everybody yeah. says and actually my next question is is just about that on when it when with fitness we all know how important regular exercise is and nutrition how it all works hand in hand but when you are not necessarily new to it but when you're not in the routine and unnecessarily if you don't have the body you desire to have, if it's yeah. still like a big work in progress on a rest day, how do you stop yourself from feeling guilty for, for taking that time and for having that downtime going, no, I, I, I can't work out today? Well, the thing is, obviously, having done my diploma, um, rest days are just as important as the actual training days. So if you are doing, you know, proper program of some sort, and there's lots out there, they will always, after a certain period of training, give you probably a rest week, really. And in the rest week, it doesn't mean that you have to do nothing at all. It just means that you stop doing your program that you've been doing, let's say, for four weeks. You could still absolutely go on long walks, which is one of the best things that you can do. Um, if you want to burn calories and if you want to, you know, stay trimmed then walking is incredible for that much better than running. Um, you can still do like when I have a rest week, I might do a week of like yoga and stretching. So there's nothing to say that you can't go somewhere, get a mat and just do some nice gentle stretching and breathing. Stretching is like fantastic because actually after you've done it, it's a bit like meditating. You just feel so much better. Yoga is another really good thing. So you do some, you know, gentle yoga during your week off. As I said, take your dogs out for walks, um, get out into the fresh air. So you can still be active. You just need to have your body, your muscles, your everything, ligaments, your joints need to have a break from, let's say, that four-week intense regime that you've had. Because um, that will be your recovery week. And then when you go back to your program, you'll be all that much, like, fitter and stronger I know when I have, you know, if I've had a couple of days off, I start to feel really groggy, like, you know, really low, really down. But then I'll go in and do some stretching, some breathing, some yoga. I'll go on a long, like, you know, hour walk and I feel brilliant. You know, I feel great. And then when I start the program again after that week off, I'm like, yeah, this is really good. You know, you feel rested. I guess it's just having that ability to go, no, this this is a rest week and this is important. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm very keen to to hear about all of the shows that you've not only starred in, but also co-choreographed and co-created. 
obviously Midnight Tango and Dance Till Dawn and The Last Tango and Tango Moderno are so many, my goodness. I know. Um, when you are in the very early stages of these shows, do you and Vincent sit down and say, right, what, what do we want to achieve with this? And, and how do you go about getting it from your head to a stage? I mean, we've been like so privileged to, you know, have been able to do four theatre productions. We've had, you know, two Olivier nominations. Um, we've toured the, we're so like, you know, incredibly grateful that we've had an incredible theatre career that we didn't even ever set out to, you know, to be a part of. But, you know, it ended up being, you know, one of the best things I've ever done, you know, my whole career. So basically exactly that. We, the, the way it starts is in our heads is in our heads and we work with the same director choreographer Karen Bruce and with Midnight Tango which was our first one it was basically just Argentine tango so we choreographed the whole thing um, we had some Argentine tango couples come on board who did some of their own you know solo work as well but predominantly we choreographed the whole thing Karen helped us direct it because there was a really strong storyline in, in the show. So the difference with us is we, um, what we didn't want was just music and dance, which you see a lot of, especially the Strictly tours tend to be great music, great dancing. And, you know, that, that's kind of the, the night. Yeah. For us, it always started that we wanted a story, especially with Karen and her background and, you know, things that she's been involved in, which is pretty much everything. Um, it was really important that there was a story for people to, to follow. So we basically, together we, with her, we'd meet up and we would just brainstorm locations, eras, um, storylines, uh, beginnings, endings, middle bits and stuff like that. And um, it would just all go on paper, literally just, she always used to call it spaghetti on the wall. So the first initial meetings was like, you could say anything you wanted to, nothing was too stupid. You just literally like throw spaghetti against the wall and whatever came out, came out. And, and that was basically it. We would just all come out with lots of different ideas. And then over various meetings, we would just whittle it down and, and come up with a storyline and, uh, and almost have like a script really to follow. And then once we had that, we always knew, and with all our shows, it always changed once we got into, you know, the choreographing of it and the putting together. There was always loads of flexibility right to the very end. I mean, sometimes we were still changing things in tech week, you know, before we open. But we had a quite, you know, a, a set sort of... Um, storyline to go with and then Vincent and I would basically go off and we would just go through a whole load of music and we would try to within that storyline fit pieces of music that we loved that we would like to use that we thought might tell that particular moment and just have a huge library of music then we'd run them past Karen she would add her own we would filter through loads of music and that, that's where you start getting excited because you're all there you're playing the songs and you can start visualizing, oh, yeah, someone's going to come in from there. And then these, the baddie's going to walk in and then this is going to happen. And then this piece of music can come in and then they're going to have a fight. And then and that's when you really start like it gets really, really it start, starts becoming real. Um, so that was the first thing. Then we tried to edit the music and then we'd work out how many solos. We always used to do loads of solos, like eight, nine solos within the show. So we would then start with those, edit the music, go off and choreograph our own solos and then we'd move on to like the group numbers with all the other dancers and then we would go through a whole huge um, audition process 
So we often also had like just characters. So um, with Midnight Tango, we had a, an amazing uh, duo, Teddy and, uh, and Trish, two, uh, two actors basically. And uh, they were brilliant. They were the barman and the bar, barmaid basically. It was all set in a, an Argentinian bar. So we um, audition, you know, actors, dancers, musicians. We often had singers and we were always looking for characters, you know, people that would fit the part. So you do the whole auditioning process and then Karen would start choreographing some of the group numbers herself, apart from Midnight Tango, which was just tango. Um, and then, yeah, and then once rehearsals started, that's when you literally are like this and like you're biting your fingers. And we always did all the productions that we did. Um, we only took four weeks rehearsal, which is like crazy. It's not a long it. time. <laughs> it's crazy. It's not long at all. And then we would do tech, about three-day tech which used to kill us um literally it's tech week i think anybody would say tech week is so 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 hard um for a dance show it was just yeah really tough so by the time you open you're absolutely exhausted um but obviously the adrenaline of opening night and everything previews gets you through that and then it's almost like from then on it starts to get easier really when you start settling into it and uh, it just kind of flows through you yeah, so it's a big, big, big process. And prior to the four weeks, there's a lot of work that goes into it, which you, most people don't even take into account. But really, that's where a lot of the work happens, really. Given that you never expected to, to do that kind of show, to, to do a, a theatre production, how did you find that experience? And what, was, what did you find surprising? What, what were the things that, that during that first tour you were like, oh, OK, like that, that's a thing? That there's so, 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 so many things that I, you know, because we were kind of like thrown in the deep end a little bit, you know, I suppose when you go to like musical theatre school or, you know, anything like that, you, you learn everything about back, being backstage, you know, and all of that and what it's like to dance on a stage and have a, an audience just, you know, your, your front audience, you know, your fourth wall and stuff like that. And uh, Obviously, coming from our world where competitions tend to be in the round, you know, you just perform a completely different vibe, really. There's, there's a story within our individual dances where we compete, but there isn't really a, you know, there's no thorough story or anything like that. So obviously, being in the rehearsal, the first thing I think that hit me was how incredibly talented so many people were. Like, obviously, we were doing auditions and we were getting, as I said, actors, singers, dancers, you know, West End dancers, who I think, are, you know, I, I'm literally like, I, I take my hat off to them, you know, all the different styles of dance that they can do and how quick they pick things up. So to be honest, we were like gobsmacked at how talented, like, everybody was in the room. We were just sitting there going, okay, we can do a tango, we can do Borum Latin, but these guys can do like everything. And then like dancers would start singing. We were like, oh my God, she sings or he sings. And so the overwhelm of like the talent was incredible, you know, when we were doing the auditions. And then I think when we actually got to Midnight Tango, it was, we'd seen like a little model. Um, so Morgan Large designed all our sets. And you'd always bring in like a little model, which I always loved, like little tiny doll's house of, you know, and it looked amazing. We had... Midnight Tango, we had a bar and like a, a checkered floor and, you know, you see this little model. And then when you get to the theatre and you see it for the first time, you just can't, you couldn't believe it, that it actually is real. Because, you know, you've never been on that stage and you're like, my God, this is like a natural world. This is like, I can touch it now. I can, you know, walk up the stairs to the balcony and, you know, 
it was incredible. The set was absolutely phenomenal. And I think that's what got us through the eight shows is when you step onto that set and the lighting, it, you just feel like that is your world. You know, that is reality. And then the music comes to life, you know, with a live band, even playing like a, a CD or something or a piano. And it just brings everything to life. But I think the weirdest thing I remember that I found really difficult, which I hadn't like in my head at all planned for, was being backstage in the dark with all the, you know, you've got all the cables of the lighting and the tape holding everything down in my like four inch heels, trying to hold my way backstage, going up dark staircases to get onto the stage. I was so scared initially. I couldn't see anything it was like so dark for me and um obviously not being from that world you know sometimes theaters have got really small backstage yeah you'd literally be like squashed like this trying to walk past each other to get onto your entrance or come off your exit and all the props would be everywhere and I was like you know when you've got to take on props with you and in each theater they change like position because of the space so probably, to be honest with you, the backstage part of it was um, the thing that I was more, most kind of like, you know, surprised at, you know, actually how much goes into it. And I always used to get on very well with the backstage guys and have a, you know, it was a real good time, real good vibe and, and giggle. That's really where, again, all the magic happens. It's such a unique experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the difference between theatres and, and telly is, is remar- more remarkable than you expect. Absolutely. Oh, it's incredible. So when you did your your first night with Midnight Tango and you're on the stage and you've done your final dance and you get that audience reaction. Yeah. I mean, how how did you feel throughout that show and at the end of it? I think, um, I mean, we did four shows, as I said, and we've um, had incredible audiences. You've got some phenomenal photos that we took from when being on stage out and it's just a packed audience, you know. I think for Midnight Tango, because it was off the first show that we did, the first theatre production, and, uh, and we did like West End runs and stuff like that, it was an adrenaline rush that you can't really explain. You know, that end, we always used to finish with a tango, and the thing that ended up being a bit of a, a, a gimmick, I suppose, if you like, was, um, and it wasn't intentional the first time we did it, is that we did a tango at the end, and then it got faster and faster, nearer the end it got so it was like you know it was kind of quite manic and then there was a big explosive ending so like it was just natural for the audience to like stand up and clap and uh, every time we then did a new show we kind of felt like we had to give the audience that same ending that same buzz the only problem was that the music had to keep getting faster and faster so that it was better than the year before oh my <laughs> So by the end of it, we were like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we could only, we did four shows. It was like, this cannot go any further. I think we need to stop here. So yeah, so we used to have quite a big build up. And with Midnight Tango, it was interesting because really, you know, like you always have in West End shows, like the mega mix at the end, where you have like a real long thing where everybody gets up and claps. So, because Midnight Tango was a bit more like a um, sort of a ballet tango-esque show it didn't really work having a, a big mega mix. So we kind of did a, a little, an encore sort of vibe. So really our, our last solo was the, the big, big end. Um, and then there was like a little thing where we all did together and got the audience going. Did you expect to get the reception that you got doing, doing that first show and then having it lead to, to others? No, not at all. I mean, we had um, no 
idea you know we i remember opening midnight tango and having no idea whether it was going to be liked not liked, whether people were going to get it whether people were going to understand the storyline no idea at all because obviously being on that end and having so much uh, involvement in the creative side you, you don't even get a chance to kind of look at it from the other side you see everyone else doing their performance and you think wow this is amazing but you know, you can't see yourself within that. So you just kind of cross your fingers, hope for the best, put your trust in everyone else that's, you know, on the other side. But, you know, the feedback we got, we used to have people in tears because we had some like sad moments, emotional moments, emotional dances, and we had happy times as well. We kind of always tried to give the shows, you know, an up and a down. So people went through various emotions. Um, I think some people were quite traumatized by the end. They were like, <laughs> with their tissues and, you know, saying how much they'd been crying. So um, we certainly didn't know. It. And that's why it was the whole thing was just a roller coaster, really, because, you know, you just go for it. And, uh, and sometimes things just work, don't they? Absolutely. What did it mean to you to bring it into, into the West End? I remember when we got the call, I mean, we didn't even kind of know the difference between touring and the West End and how it all works. And it's quite a different beast, isn't it? Mm. It's quite different. There's very specific shows that work in the West End and they, you know, some that don't. So we had no idea that it would ever, um, you know, be able to get into the West End. And uh, and then we I remember the first theatre that we went into was the Aldwych. Um, and then we went back to the Phoenix and we kind of always went to and from those two theatres because they were the right sort of vibe and size kind of for our show. Which was your favourite of those two? Oh, that's really difficult. I don't think I could choose. I don't think, I think if I had to, I might say the Allwitch. It's slightly bigger, isn't it? Yeah, slightly bigger, I think. But to be honest with you, I love them both. And yeah, we've been to, to both several times. So yeah, we've got a strong, strong connection with those, um, those two theatres. But yeah, it was completely unexpected. We just got the call from the producer and said, look, we can get into the West End for like six weeks or whatever. And it's a completely different experience, isn't it? Because you can, most people can commute from home. You're in like central London and you've got, you know, loads of family and friends that can come because it's a bit more easy, you know, easier to get to. It's challenging because on tour, I think if people know that you're going to their town, they'll they'll really make an effort to go, you know, come and see you in the the town. London, obviously, you get a lot of... um, tourists and things like that so with a a show that isn't like a big big name and they don't recognize it um it's harder you know it's much harder to fill the seats but I think the tango element always helped us a bit kind of people know tango so um that's why we often kind of used it in the title just to you know bring people in let them know what it was about but we love yeah I mean the, the the West End experiences were just just very exciting how long after you finished Midnight Tango did you then have a, a phone call with Vincent and go, let's do another one? I don't think Midnight Tango finished. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's how crazy that whole period for us was. But we were lucky enough that like the, the same producer kind of stuck with us throughout. So um, I think it, from memory, pretty much before one show was coming to an end, we would start conversations about the next. So we might have like two, three weeks left, um, you know, on tour or at the West End. And then we would be sitting down brainstorming what the next song would be. Then we'd have a little gap in between and then we would start the whole process again. And to be honest, that happened for all four shows. So, yeah, we were just that's what I mean. It was just such a a lucky time for us. You know, it wasn't just a a one off thing. It was 
yeah, it just kept happening, kept happening, kept happening. It's no wonder you needed a break. Well, that's the thing. I think at the end of it, um, I think physically, mentally, we counted, I tallied up how many shows we'd done and it was like thousands and thousands of shows. And I think the the, the biggest pressure that kind of slightly got to, to, I'll talk about me, but got to me towards the end was just the fact that I felt so lucky that I, you know, touch wood, I'd, I'd never missed a show. And because we were doing seven, eight shows a week and some of the shows we didn't even have covers because it was, you know, quite important that we were always on. I think towards the end, I felt so lucky that I'd kind of never had to go off that I started to get a little bit of fear that it, what happened if I did, you know, because I was like, chances are at some point I might not be well or I might hurt myself or something. And I kept saying, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And uh, for eight years, it didn't happen. But I think I started to just get that feeling of it, you know, it could. And then what would happen then? You know, it's, it's the worst feeling ever is when you're, your name's on the poster, your folks on the poster, and you think, if I can't go on, people are going to be disappointed. I, I think it's interesting because I think for bigger shows, people accept that. Sometimes you have like, you know, two people split a show, but with dance shows, and the, you know, the, I think the connection with Strictly and stuff like that, people are coming specifically mostly for that. And so if it's not you, it's, it doesn't go down very well. So that kind of pressure towards the end kind of got to me a bit. And I thought, I want to end on a high. It was my priority. I want it to end, you know, on a, a real good feeling. And I don't want to ever have to miss a show. So, yeah, I decided it was, that was, you know, that was a good way to sort of bring it to an end. But that was going to be my next question, actually. I was, I was reliably informed that you'd never missed a show. And and like you say, there is that there is that pressure, but it's amazing that you got so far through the experience before the psychology of it changed from this is great to oh god, what happens if? Yes, and that's you got it exactly right. It's quite difficult to explain to people because you know at the end of the day, you I can't ever say that I would ever have wanted to stop. Or people say, why did you stop? It's it's you never want to stop that. But like a complete, like you said, your psychology at, at a certain point completely flips and changes and when that happens then it becomes very very challenging very very difficult so yeah I mean for years I was like yeah you know four inch heels eight shows a week yeah you know just crazy just get on with it and love every second of it and then I mean I'm 41 now so it was really towards my late late 30s but only then that I started kind of you know scratching my head a bit and thinking mm. I think it might have been that a couple of times I'd been like ill over Christmas you know the winter period I've got really bad flu and stuff like that and any normal person would have not gone on stage and I felt like I had no choice so even when I was feeling quite poorly there's been the odd occasion where I just had to bat, you know bash through a two-day show do a matinee and an evening show and you're on antibiotics and, you know, taking all sorts of drugs to keep you going and you do it. And I did it on several occasions, I think. And I think that's when you start going, I'm not sure how many more times I want to put myself through that, but I still don't want to go off. So that's exactly right. You said it's spot on. It's the psychology changes. And it was only the last couple of years. And in fact, to help with that, we went from doing eight shows a week, which we did for, for donkey's years. We only used to have uh, Sundays off. We then, the last couple of years, we went to seven shows a week. Just to make yourself feel that little bit better, one less show. Which one did you drop? 
we started later in the week. So right. we would start on like a Tuesday, for example. That helps. Yeah, it changed like from theatre to theatre, whatever the theatre preferred, but mostly it would be a Tuesday start. So we'd have Sunday and Monday off. So that helped a bit. It did help having two days made like a massive difference, you know, like recovery and stuff like that. Because your body must have just been exhausted. Agony, yeah, exhausted. And again, first probably three, four, five years, you just, you fight through it. I mean, I lived like, I have a, a rumble roller, and uh, it's been with me for the whole journey. And I just spent my whole life rolling on it, you know, before the show. It's um, the aches and the pains and stuff like that. But you, I kind of just got used to that. That was just part of, almost part of the pleasure. But as I said, the last few years, the pain started to get a little bit more. It was a bit more like joint pain instead of muscle pain. I could kind of feel that a bit. I, I went down in my heel size to help. So all these little things psychologically start kind of slightly eating away at you and then you come to a point where you've really got to make a choice whether do you want to carry on like that and take that risk or do you just you know end it a bit more positively say you know what I had an incredible time and I was so fortunate um, that I'm gonna make a decision and uh, and kind of move on and, and look back and appreciate it yeah absolutely we have to talk about the Royal Variety performance in 2013 when you did a routine to Feeling Good because there, there's that platform at the back of the stage with the stairs either side, but you don't walk yeah. down the stairs. You just fell backwards yeah. and you were caught. That looks terrifying. <laughs> Disgust. I know, but it goes back to the thing of like, you know, when you're in that sort of stage, you do some ridiculous things, don't you? You put yourself in absolute danger. And like, if you ask me to do that now... <laughs> I probably would like, you know, there's no, I doubt very much I would, I would do it, you know. And um, the funny thing was that we choreographed that number and it was actually one of the numbers that was in Dance Till Dawn. So it was the first number we choreographed for that show. And uh, we, we started with that because Binza was off doing something else. And uh, we got asked to do the Royal Variety and I said, well, I can do something. And then together with Karen, we put together this number that we knew was then going to be in the show. So the plan was that I think what, kept, what happened was in, on our set, when we designed our set, we had a, a, um, a spiral staircase. I think at that point, Karen, the director, hadn't suggested I throw myself backwards, you know, every night. But then when she got the design of the, the Palladium set, she said, oh, mm, this might be a good idea. We could use, you know, the platform as a, you know, something to, to fall off on. When we actually got there, she hadn't, take into account actually how tall it was going to be how far it was going to be yeah. so we were like because <laughs> it wasn't really something we could practice until we got there so I uh, Karen always says you know doesn't matter what she asked me to do I would always say yes didn't matter how crazy it was so yeah I mean I was just so full of adrenaline excited to be there performing the number with the guys and the girls and everything that I just said I'm just going to do this I'm just gonna go for it so I had to do it like probably about three times, four times for like the rehearsals. And then obviously on the night as well. And then what happened was that we then decided I was mad enough to say, yeah, I'll do it every night, eight shows a week, no problem. So in the actual theater show, I threw myself off backwards from a, a spiral staircase. And you know, like sometimes each theater is slightly different. The floor's a bit uneven sometimes, you don't have to pad it out. 
And this was, you know, a spiral staircase with wheels that obviously had these little clamps that you pushed down to hold it in place, but it was always really quite wobbly. Oh. And I used to have to walk up in the dark, like the spiral space, stand at the top. And because it was spiral, I used to have to put my feet in a really weird position on one little corner, holding onto the rail, and then literally just hope that the boys were going to be there. And I did that eight shows a week for however many years we did that show. I mean, I must have been mad. That makes me feel ill. <laughs> I know, it makes me feel ill when I think about it. You know what the worst thing was? Was that obviously sometimes, obviously, because the show was so intense, some of the boys would be off. So the covers would have to do the part. So there would be new boys catching me. And you know what? You kind of end up trusting. Yeah, you end up trusting the boys. And then suddenly you get a call in the morning saying, so-and-so is not in someone else is doing it and you're like starting to go into like panic mode you know and then i think on one occasion there were like three boys off towards the end because it was a really physical show so i think i had like one less boy catching me so i had many i had did have some moments towards the end of that tour where i was like this is too much you know what have i done did you ever start <laughs> overthinking it like thinking oh gosh but that person does all the heavy lifting or that person catches this part of my body what if you know what if this other person isn't as strong yeah you can you can you know when you it's like anything when you, you overthink everything don't you over, over time if you keep doing the same thing you start analyzing it so um, I, you know, I was very, very good. I have to be honest. I think a lot of people will probably have struggled. I, I for that show, I had a cover, a girl, and bless her. I remember that when she literally had to rehearse the show during the day every so often, they'd have rehearsals. She used to like find it so difficult to do that number. She just could not like psych herself up for it. And you know, I remember she was in tears once. I think I, I'm quite proud of of that of having done that for so many years throw myself backwards yeah because it must be a huge <laughs> psychological block yeah. of, of of just literally like free falling yeah. and, and you, you can't even see you can't see it's dark you've got the audience it's just like crazy yeah oh, oh. <laughs> um it's it's 26 years since you and vincent started dancing together obviously pandemic means that that can't happen at the moment but will we see you together again soon yeah, I mean, we stopped, we stopped touring in uh, 2018 and then we both did Panto um, at the London Palladium, which was great. That was, you know, really exciting. Um, and then actually I kind of decided to stop touring since then. That's when I did my diploma. And Vincent has since done a couple of, uh, well, he did one tour with Ian Waite, one of the other boys. Mm-hmm. So he still had a little bit of a, a, an itch, I suppose, to, you know, to carry on touring. I was a bit more like I'm ready to have a break from it and I didn't really want to go into too much of like the Strictly tours. I just felt that what we created and the kind of shows we had done were just so special. I I didn't want to affect that. Um, But absolutely, you know, there's nothing to say, uh, you know, we're in touch. We, you know, know what each other's doing and stuff like that. And um, who knows what will happen in the future. There's always that, you know, that possibility. Absolutely. Well, fingers crossed. It's been so wonderful to hear about all your your success and your new foray into your new venture. I wish you the best of luck with it. And I'm sure post-pandemic, hopefully it will thrive even more. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Next time on the podcast, I'll be joined by Daisy Maywood, who most recently played Susan and the iconic part of the priest in Marianne Elliott's West End revival of Company. Do subscribe if you haven't already, and I'll see you back here next week. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Thank you.